Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the table with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you will never walk alone. Now, those words are usually sung, but I'll spare you that. That is the anthem of Liverpool Football Club. And that singing rings out from the thousands at Anfield Stadium for each match. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. And it turns out that is the message of Micah for us today. 
So Micah lived and prophesied in the 8th century BC. As we heard last week, Micah's name means who is like the Lord. And at the end of the book, he concludes by asking that question, who is a God like you? So, of course, Micah had a message for the people of his day of what was going on around them then. But Micah's ultimate aim was for people to see more of what the Lord is like, to delight in him. And that is where we are heading and we hope we too will see as we listen to his words. Micah's message is for all the earth. Last week we heard how the Lord himself was, so to speak, going to leave heaven and come down to earth. But when he did, the mountains would melt, the valleys would split open. The Lord was coming to judge. He had seen the people who were coveting, the prophets who were corrupt, and he was determined to act. And then as a result, Samaria, remember that's the old northern kingdom of Israel? Well, that had been left in ruins, just as Micah had prophesied. But then we had the southern kingdom, Judah with Jerusalem or Zion, the capital. But they were presumptuous. They thought, we'll be fine, come what may, because after all, wasn't Jerusalem, Zion, the home of God on earth? They even had the temple. They're going to be fine. But Micah said, no, for its sin, even this great city of Jerusalem would become a heap of ruins. And most devastatingly of all, that temple, the dwelling place of God, would be no more. And that's where we ended last week. Chapter three came to an end and it was bleak and thick darkness was engulfing the land. But it wasn't the end of Micah. And through Micah, God has more to say. And now as we keep listening into chapter 4, we find a staggering contrast. Because here we see the mountain of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord. Look how verse 1 begins. It shall come to pass in the latter days. So Micah is now speaking of the future. Not the future destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, which he's already spoken about that. But beyond that. He says beyond that. Well, the next line of verse one goes on to speak of the house of the Lord. Now that is temple language again, but it soon becomes obvious. Micah's not simply thinking of another physical building to replace the old one. Rather, he's using temple ideas and what it stood for to describe what that temple building was actually pointing forward to all along. There is going to be a mountain for all to see. Verse 1, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills. Now, the original Jerusalem was built on a mountain, or really, better to say, a hill. It wasn't even one of the biggest hundred mountains in Israel. But this new house of the mountain of the Lord, well, this is going to be the highest mountain of all, far higher than Everest. The point being, all will be able to see it, and it'll be seen to be the meeting point of heaven and earth, where God and his people will be united. And Micah says, this will be established. That is, this place will last. Unlike that present temple, this will last forever. So Micah is firing up our imagination for a spectacular place. But what will be so good about it? 
Well, Micah tells us first, it will be a place for many nations. End of verse one, he says, and peoples shall flow to it. Well, to flow, of course, is what a river does down to the sea. But here, if you like, the flow is upwards. And it's not water, it's peoples. You ever been to the big match when hordes crowd from every direction? Well, it's going to be like that at the mountain of the Lord, but more people. Start of verse 2, many nations shall come. Now, Micah so far has been about Judah and Israel, but this is why all the earth should listen, because this is for all the nations. All will be drawn in. It's like a supernatural magnetism on top of this mountain, drawing people in from all over the earth, all coming to this meeting place of heaven and earth. So for many nations, but which people from those nations It's for those who walk in the ways of the Lord. Look at what the nations are saying to each other in verse 2. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. You can picture it, the excitement. People from every nation saying to those around them, come with us, let's go. Why do they want to do this? Well, look at the reason how verse 2 continues. That he, the Lord, may teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. Now, our world today thinks God's commands are a bad idea. They need to be resisted. Go your own way instead. But at this mountain of the Lord, the direction of travel will have changed. No longer doing anything to go away from God, but now the desire will be to go towards him. No longer sticking in our own foolish ways, but recognizing the Lord has wisdom. I want to learn from him. And this language of walking is important. It shows that being a Christian, if you like, isn't simply what we think about God, which, if you like, box will metaphorically tick. No, walking is active. It takes all of me, all of my life. I choose which direction am I going to go in and then make sure all of me goes that way. We walk the walk. Which is why then verse 2, notice, goes on. Out of Zion, that is this place where God is, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And this going out of the law, God's instruction, is a good thing. This word of the Lord, as it goes out, then draws people in. And that word then helps those people, shows them the paths and the ways to go. So here's the picture. All nations coming together and walking in the ways of the Lord. And as they do that, they enjoy peace. So verse 3 there begins, He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away. Now to judge here means to put right. God is going to put things right. That is, there's tensions, aren't there, between peoples? Well, they are going to be resolved by God. Because look how verse 3 goes on. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Well, this is a glorious picture, a vision of a reality to come. So tell this to the people of Kiev and Donetsk. Tell this to those ethnic groups in Nigeria. 
tell this to the people of the Middle East living in terror, to the gang culture around us here in London. One day, no more war. No more fighting. And we're not talking here about the sort of uneasy truce that maybe is the best we can hope for in this world at the moment. No, here we see the nations and the peoples, if you like, arm in arm, walking together. Universal and lasting peace. And notice what else. All these people, as they walk, will also be sitting. Verse 4. But they shall sit, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now, this is a contrast to what we saw last week in the early chapters that describe what this world is like. There we saw our world is full of covetous people who will grab and take advantage and harm others for the sake of their own personal gain. So therefore, life was risky. It was never secure, always in danger. And even if you got ahead for a little bit, well, who could tell when someone bigger, someone better connected, could pay maybe a larger bribe and come along and take away everything you had. But not in the latter days. No more of any of that. No need. Farming, if you like, is the future. That is life-giving activity rather than the death and destruction of war and hostility. Look at the picture of verse 4. The picture is that everyone, each, will have all that they need even the best, and they'll be satisfied with it. No threat to grab it away from us. There'll be prosperity with security. A wonderful picture. So it's a wonderful contrast we've seen between chapters 1 and 3 and what we see here. That old Jerusalem will soon be in ruins, and God will have left. But then there's this new Jerusalem, the highest of mountains, the coming together of heaven and earth, where God is. And there we will find relationship, community, delight and prosperity and security forever. This is why the Lord God created the world and its peoples, so that he could bless us with the best of everything. And this is where he will do that. So the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. And next, Micah wants to underline for us, it is the Lord who will do this. What does the Lord do? Well, last week we heard what the Lord will do in devastating judgment. But you remember we did see a glimmer of hope, a ray of light just coming through. Remember, there was talk of a remnant of Israel, the survivors, those who would somehow come through God's judgment. And remember they were described as the sheep of the flock because we were looking for this shepherd, this king, the Lord himself. And now we see more of that in verses six and seven. First, we see that in that day, the Lord will assemble the lame. So remember now we're looking at the mountain of the house of the Lord and all these nations, all these peoples walking towards it. The question is, what if they can't? That is, what if they can't walk? That is, what if people are so stuck in their own ways, in the way they've decided to go, following their own gods, well, 
they simply refuse. They can't turn around to go and walk in the Lord's way, to go towards him. So if you like, what if we are lame? We can't walk in that way that we should. Well, ultimately, that was the state of those people that Micah was talking to in Judah in the 8th century. Of themselves, they were lame. They could not even begin of themselves to walk towards God. So that's alarming at this point, isn't it? We've had this wonderful picture of the mountain for all to come, but no one's going to be able to come. So it'll be the Lord there, but nobody else. But then verse 6, look what the Lord says. I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. Now this is actually shepherding language again. This is a picture of what shepherds do. Sees the needy ones and gathers them in. And the Lord says, I will do that. But how? I mean, what does that mean? Well, verse 7 goes on. The lame I will make the remnant. And those who are cast off as a strong nation. So now here's mention again of that remnant. And we are told now it's the lame who will form the remnant. Now, lame, remnant, cast off, those are all expressions of weakness, which is what these people are, which we all are. And of course, as such weak people is how the rest of the world sees believers too. But the Lord says, he will make them, make us into a strong nation. So you've got the weak ones, the remnant, the lame, the weak, the powerless. They're not just going to survive, God says, they're going to thrive. So you can see what a great message this would have been in the 8th century BC. What looked strong then would have been the empires threatening little Israel. They would have looked so strong. But God says that won't last. God will make his people truly strong. And as we put all this together, if the lame must be the remnant who come to the mountain of the Lord, well, it must mean somehow one day the lame will be able to walk in those paths of the Lord up the mountain. And as they do, then, end of verse 7, the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion, and this will last from this time forth and forevermore. So this wonderful picture of the future, the Lord will do it. Something to delight in, something to anticipate eagerly. A future, surely, we'd want to be part of. And you can imagine Micah's hearers as they first heard this, and likewise for us as we read it today, When will this happen? When will this become a reality? When will it be fulfilled? And so keep something in Micah, chapter 4, but turn with me to Acts chapter 2, page 1096. Let me just remind you, set the scene here in Acts 2. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples and he has told them to wait in Jerusalem which they do. And then we come to chapter two. And what happens? Chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I wonder, there's lots of details crammed into those four verses. 
But do we realize the picture that's being painted? It is temple language. With language of place and house, then this house that is filled, which is what happened to the Old Testament temple. There's fire and wind and the spirit, all of which symbolic of the presence of God himself, like at the temple. But here the focus, of course, is not so much on any physical building, but on the people who are there. But which people? Well, you read on in Acts 2, verse 5 then speaks of every nation under heaven. Verse 6, a multitude. And then the big list of these nations and all these different languages, all of which God is gathering in. Of course, you go through Acts and you see it all the more. The word goes out from Jerusalem and Samaritans and Ethiopians and many others all are gathered in. Well, what's going on? Notice Peter stands up to preach and in verse 17, he begins, and in the last days. Now, Peter's quoting Joel, but the language of last days or latter days, you find it also in Isaiah, or of course, as we've just heard, in Micah. So the point Peter is making is what those prophets spoke about, that glorious future, is now coming to a fulfillment. And sure enough, in Jerusalem that day, 3,000 people turned to the Lord. And what did they then do? Well, it makes sense, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, they wanted to learn. They wanted to be taught the ways of the Lord, just as Micah foretold. So what do we expect is going to happen next? Well, we turn into Acts chapter 3, as was read for us a little earlier. Peter and John are going up to the temple building. The question is, who would join them? Well, it turns out a lame man is outside, unable to go in. But Peter says to him, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in response, verse 8, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Just as God had said through Micah, I will assemble the lame. Do we see what's going on? Do we see this fulfillment? Why is it all happening now? Well, last verse for now from Acts chapter 4 verse 11. We are told, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So that is, Jesus rose again from the dead to become, well, the cornerstone, but the cornerstone of the new temple. Jesus here now is this new meeting place of heaven and earth, where all the nations can gather to meet with God. So what we've been reading about in Micah and his prophecy has now kicked in. The fulfillment is coming in Jesus. The last days have begun. Now, of course, obviously, we are not yet experiencing the final fulfillment, the ultimate consummation of that picture that Micah painted for us. If you like, in many ways, we are still living in the ruins. And sometimes, of course, we still really feel that. 
if you like, there are still more swords left to be beaten into plowshares. There are still more missiles that need to turn into mowers, still more tanks that we long would be tractors. And with that, of course, there are still more of the nations to be gathered in to start coming in this flow up the mountain to the Lord. But this side of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we can be sure the process has begun because of what God has done already. We now know what the future will hold. This mountain of the house of the Lord will be raised up. We will be there and the Lord will reign from there forever. Well, so what? What difference does it make knowing this today? Well, Micah has one question really in particular for us, which is this. How are you walking? How are you walking? So turn back with me to Micah, page 941. We've read verses 1 to 7, and these are largely verses looking to the future, to the latter days, to the last day, to that day to come. But did you notice we've missed a verse because in the middle Micah speaks, if you like, to the here and now. Verse 5. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So here Micah is connecting the future with now, the present, the present both for his hearers then and for us today. The challenge is, in light of that future, how will you be walking today. Walking is not just for then, but it starts now. In fact, according to Micah, everybody walks. Did you see that? How you walk depends on your God. So again, taking the example Micah has spoken of, let's say your God is money. Well, coveting is your thing, therefore, and that shapes the way you walk, your behavior, your attitudes, your priorities, what you do, what fills your mind will all show in time that the way you are going, the way you are walking is, well, how can I get more money and the things that go along with it? But then in the language used here, that is to be lame when it comes to God and the things of God, if we serve other gods. How then do we walk rightly? Well, that's the second half of this verse. And notice there are three marks here of how to walk. So let's learn how do we walk. First, walk in the name of the Lord our God. Now, the name of God, as many of us have seen in Exodus, that's a summary of who God is and what he is like. Do you remember? That's what Micah wants us to see in his book, what God is like. And we see that supremely in Christ. And the point is, he's writing now to people who like what they see. That is, we want to be with this God. We want to be like him. We want to live his way. And so we walk in the name of the Lord our God. Second, we walk with hope. That Liverpool anthem again, walk on, walk on with hope in your heart. Well, right now, Liverpool are playing Man United. What hope do they have? discuss. But that sort of hope in all of life, mere earthly hope, well, in the end, that is wishful thinking at best. That sort of hope is so flimsy. Something may come off, but it may not. Even if it does, won't last. 
But Micah has shown us we have a heavenly, that is a concrete hope. There's this glorious future ahead. So we don't just have hope in our hearts. We have this sure hope founded on the resurrection of Christ. And therefore we know where it's all going. Therefore our lives are not aimless. We know we're going somewhere. And therefore we walk towards it with confidence. And verse 5 says, the way that you start that walk now will be the way that you walk, end of verse 5, forever and ever. So we walk in the name of the Lord our God. We walk with hope. And third, we walk together. Notice Micah's language here in verse 5. He says, the Lord our God. And also he says, and so we will walk. This is no solitary hike by ourselves. For a start, as we walk, we are able to invite others to join us. That was the picture, wasn't it, in verse 2. We can say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. We can say that today to those around us. And as we do, some will presumably realize what a stunning offer to join in with that glorious future. So they'll accept that offer with open arms and join us walking on the way. But presumably others will be more obstinate. They'll be determined to keep going the direction they are already heading in. Well, they'll even invite us to go their way, to go the ways of the world. They'll even demand that we join them. Maybe the pressure will come from the friendship group to do that. Or maybe it'll be the work culture. Even, sadly, some in leadership in the Church of England keep asking us to walk away from Jesus and his ways. But we can't do that because our hope is set. And the Lord tells us the way to walk. And so we will walk that way. But we'll do it together. And so therefore we will stick with others heading in the same direction. So those at church, those at our Bible study, those at Youth RML, those at the school CU, those at the work Christian group. Now each of those gatherings will feel, I guess, weak in their way. The world will tell us, come over here, the action is elsewhere. But actually in each of those gatherings of Christians, small as they may be, what we are seeing is the beginnings, the fulfillment of Micah's stupendous prophecy. And don't we see it around us, even here on a Sunday afternoon? Many nations are represented, all different sorts of peoples. And why do we choose to meet when there are many other things that we could do on a Sunday afternoon? Well, because in part we know we don't know how to live, how to walk in the ruins of life in this world. We find it hard. So we meet together to hear the word of the Lord. We want him to teach us his ways so that we can then, at the end of our meeting, go out again into another week, into the world, to walk in the Lord's paths rather than the ways of the world. As we make our way then together to this glorious mountain of the Lord. I'll lead us in a prayer. So, our Father, we do praise you for this, your determination to gather a people for yourself from every nation to enjoy this relationship with you and all that follows from that. Thank you for the fulfillment we already see in the risen Jesus. 
And so now, as we look ahead to this glorious future, would you strengthen us today to walk in your ways? For Jesus' sake. Amen.